You know, they always say that the Sunday school answer is what? The right Sunday school answer, no matter the question is, tell me. Jesus, exactly. I think there's a lot of truth to that, especially when the question is, what is the Bible really all about? It's certainly about the Lord Jesus from Genesis straight through to the maps, the unfolding drama of God's diligent delight in delivering us from our sin and that divine Trinitarian collaboration to secure our redemption, all focused on the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And every page of that book in your lap breathes the name of the Good Shepherd. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to us, shouldn't surprise us. It should delight us, but not surprise us that we see the picture of the shepherd in both the Old and the New Testament. Let's take a look here in Ezekiel 34, 11 to 16, and then we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Ezekiel 34, beginning at verse 11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed in the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them justice. In First Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, the apostle says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen. The Word of God, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious Father, we um, come this morning in the strong name of Jesus. Lord, so thankful that uh, though this place be warm, we have the privilege, Lord, of being in Your presence. Lord, to seeing Your faithfulness on glorious display in our midst. Lord, in the lives of, of the Rabino family. Father, in the, in the life of this flock, of this church, Lord, with an ordination, with, with baptism, with worship, with singing, praying, preaching, with the lifting of our hearts, with hugging of necks and shaking of hands. Lord, we are so thankful You have called us to this place. And now, Father, we pray as we approach Your Word, would You give us grace to see that we're in G when we have failed, Jesus, the Son of God, on our behalf has mightily prevailed. For we ask it in His great and His glorious name, the seed who crushed the serpent's head and the Alpha and Omega. Amen. You know, Tom was mentioning earlier uh, a pretty impressive litany 
of theologians, of reformers. You think of the giants upon whose shoulders we stand. You think of men like Jan Hus and, and Wycliffe and Tyndale. You think of Zwingli and Calvin and Silvernail. That, that, at least that was the, that was the list you gave me of reformed giants, right, Pastor? When I say that, though, you can tell one was missing, right? I said there's Huss, there's Wycliffe, there's Calvin, there's Zwingli, there's Silvernail. Who's missing in that great list of reformers? I did I say I said Zwingli. Who else? Martin, yeah, Martin Luther. Martin Luther, that often ostentatious Augustinian monk, he lived from 1483 to 1546. And when you think of the Reformation, you automatically think of Martin Luther. Now, I got a call from the Potomac Presbytery, and they told me, Tom, that your ordination exams were not quite finished. I know they examined you, and they weighed and measured, they poked and prodded, they examined you in systematic theology and the confession and English Bible and Greek and Hebrew and pastoral theology. You had to do a paper, you had to do an exegetical paper, all of these kinds of things. You were examined on the sacraments, but the church history exam, they said, was not yet finished, and so we can't go on, and none of this can be official until you answer this question question, who was the other Martin of the Reformation? Not Martin Luther, but Martin... It's the Daily Double. It's... Martin Butzer is the correct answer. He lived from 1491 to 1551. Very good, very good. Martin Butzer is the other Martin of the Protestant Reformation, very influential on Calvin theologically. Martin Butzer was a very impressive theologian, but he is perhaps best remembered for how pastorally hearted he was. And of all the things that he wrote, and of all of the big, thick books on theology that Butzer wrote, the thing for which he is remembered is a book that I want my children to come and give to Uncle Tom uh, right now. It's a little book on how to care for people's hearts. It's a little book called the true, concerning the true care of souls. You see, men of this age considered themselves and they spoke of themselves and they spoke to one another as pastors and as elders as, are you ready for this, physicians of souls. That's what a pastor, that's what a shepherd was known to be, a physician of souls. And so Butzer wrote this book that we've just given Tom on how to be a physician of souls, how to care for hearts, how to care for people, how to be a shepherd. And so what I want to do is, is consider this morning the things that Butzer tells us about in that book. He said there are five things, five tasks, Tom, that you are to be about as a shepherd, five things that you are to be concerned with as a pastor as an elder in this flock. And the first one that Butzer says is that a shepherd is to seek and to find all of the lost. Now understand this, when we come to Scripture, there are imperatives, things that we are told to do. And the imperatives, the things that we are told to do or not to do, are always grounded in the indicative of who our God and His grace is. And the Lord has already said, I am the shepherd who will seek and find the lost. And so understand this. All of us here who would be elders, all of us here who would serve among this body, we must realize that our seeking and finding the lost is because God has first sought and found us. Now understand this. Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church is committed to evangelism. And if she has continued to be committed to evangelism, she's going to have to see her shepherds, her pastors, her elders committed to evangelism. As if we actually believe, Tom, that people who die without Christ go to hell. That we order our calendars accordingly. That we order our lives accordingly. 
that people who die without Christ actually go to hell. And people who live without Christ aren't actually living at all because they're not united to the truly alive one who is Jesus Christ. They, they trust in the fatness and the strength of their own self-sufficiency that Ezekiel speaks of here. They, they, they settle for a virtual spirituality that medicates the pain or, or fabricates the illusion of their own of their own godhood, and they settle themselves with that sort of virtual reality. And what they need, what I need, what you need, is real relationship with Jesus. Real union with Christ by the power of His Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to let you all in on a little secret, Ben. This morning, you're going to get more than just a sermon. I'm going to give you some insight into women. If you understand what a woman's heart is all about, that lady next to you, maybe you've been married to her for years, and you've been confused, I'm about to enlighten you and clear all that up. For those of you who maybe are single and trying to figure out what you should know about women, brothers, I'm going to let you in on what you need to know. Now, the way to a woman's heart is Target. Target, right? You can get, you can get some pretty cheap stuff cheap at Walmart, but you can get some pretty good stuff pretty inexpensively at Target. Women love Target. Their hearts beat for it. And then on top of that, listen, the genius who came up with the idea of putting Starbucks in the lobbies of Targets. Now that was a man who understood women. Sisters, can I get a witness? Now, ladies, I want to let you know something about men. The way to a man's heart, they always say it through his what? His stomach. And that's true. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. But when you go through his stomach and you get to his heart, you will find that a man's heart beats it throbs, are you ready for this? For consumer electronics. <laughs> Men love it. Yes, brother, right? They love computers. They love iPads. They love Xboxes, right? I had a pastoral intern. You remember Jay Joy? I had a pastoral intern one time who convinced his wife to let him get an Xbox, and he told her if she did, he would use it as a tool for evangelistic outreach in their neighborhood. <laughs> and she went for it. It was amazing. This guy. <laughs> Men's hearts beat for consumer electronics, right? We, we love our phones. We love, we love our iPhones. You know, I have uh, here on my iPhone, my, my son is, is app crazy. And so we have this joint account whenever he downloads an app. That way I can kind of see, keep a, an idea of what's going on, what he's downloading and so forth. He downloaded an app called Bubble Wrap, right? How many of you love Bubble Wrap? You just love Bubble Wrap, right? I've got, I've got an app here called Bubble Wrap. And it looks like Bubble Wrap, if you can see the app. And in fact, when you see here, it, it, I don't know if you hear that. It sounds like bubble wrap when you, when you hit the little bubbles. It looks like bubble wrap and it sounds like bubble wrap, but you know what? It doesn't tell me feel like bubble wrap because why do you love bubble wrap? You love bubble wrap because at that final delicious moment when you're squeezing that bubble, right? And there's that tension between its continued existence as a bubble and its surrender to your undeniable strength, right? It's that delicious moment when you're about to pop that bubble. That's what you love. That's what makes bubble wrap so real. That's what makes bubble wrap so real. And this virtual bubble wrap app, look, if I pass my phone around, you would take it and you'd go, well, that's kind of cool next. Because it doesn't feel like, because it's not real bubble wrap, and there's so many folks who are settling for so many things that are simply the idols of their heart. 
And it's not real relationship with Jesus. Again, it may medicate the pain temporarily. It may fabricate the illusion of their own godhood. And that's been our problem ever since the Garden of Eden. But Tom, what they need is real relationship with Jesus. The shepherd seeks and he finds the lost. Secondly, Butzer says the shepherd brings back those that are scattered. In fact, you see here the context of Ezekiel is post-fall Jerusalem, 586 B.C. Jerusalem has been sacked. She has been taken away into exile, and part of what brought that about was the failure of her shepherds to feed her, to teach her, to protect her. And so the Lord says, I am going to go as the shepherd, and I am going to seek those who are scattered. You, you see that all throughout the Scripture. In fact, we, we think of the famous parable of Luke 15 being that of the running father, and, and certainly it is, the, the father who runs after both of his prodigal sons. But earlier in Luke 15, Jesus tells the story of a shepherd who seeks that one lost sheep, and when he finds that one lost sheep that has been scattered, he comes back and he says, we must celebrate. The shepherd seeks and brings back those who are scattered, and, and that's, that's what wolves do. They scatter the flock. You've seen, no doubt, those Animal Planet specials where a wolf comes along and he will find a herd of deer and they will chase and they will single out the weak ones and they will scatter them so they can make them their prey. That's what wolves do. And this city is full of wolves, just like the city that I'm from, Nashville, Tennessee, is full of wolves. In fact, they don't always look like wolves. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, sometimes they look like sheep. He says they are wolves in what? sheep's clothing and they they come and, and they scatter and they devour in fact if you consider the words of the apostle paul to his young son in the faith timothy in second timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 5 he says to timothy i charge you in the presence of god and of christ jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom preach the word be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off, i.e. they'll be scattered into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul knew that wolves come and, and they scatter the sheep into endless myths and, and false teaching. John Calvin said that a shepherd is to have two voices, one with which to gather in the sheep and the other with which to ward off the wolves. Tom, by God's grace, that's what you are to be. Charles Spurgeon, that great London Baptist prince of preachers, he loved Spurgeon. One time there was an older lady in his congregation came to Spurgeon and said, Pastor Spurgeon, I think it's rather ostentatious of you that you smoke cigars. And he said, no, my lady, if I tried smoking two at once, that might be ostentatious. Spurgeon said that a faithful minister, a faithful pastor is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And, and that's what we're to be to protect the sheep from being scattered by the wolves, the, the false teachers. You say, well, how do we do that? Is there some program? Is there something new and just coming down the pike that will help us do it? No, it's the ordinary means of grace. A faithful word and sacrament ministry will ward the wolves off and bring back those who are scattered. Preaching of the word, the serving of the sacraments, the traditional, just, ordinary, non-glamorous shepherding of the flock. That's what it will be by God's grace. 
The shepherd seeks the lost. He brings back the scattered. He heals the wounded. You saw the Lord saying in Ezekiel 34, verse 16, I'm going to bind up the wounds of my wounded sheep. You wonder, how do the sheep get wounded? How, how, do we, how do we find ourselves wounded this morning? Well, there's that unholy trinity that wounds us. The world and the flesh and the devil, right? Let's say something about, about the devil and the way he brings up our past, right? We know the Gospel. We, we know, as Sinclair Ferguson says, it's not my past that defines me, but Christ's past that defines me. That is true. We know theologically, biblically, that that is true. Yet the accuser comes along, and that's who and what he is. We find in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that the devil, our enemy, is our accuser, and he brings up the past. The failures and, and the sins and the brokenness and all of the embarrassing screwing up that we've done. And he accuses us of these things. And he says, these things defined you. And he charges us left, right, and center. We find ourselves wounded. Tom, brother, you are called to bind up wounds. How do you bind up wounds like that? The wounds of the past. You do it by preaching the pure Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospel to which Paul had committed himself at the beginning of the book of Romans. Where he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And when the brothers come and they lay their hands on you in just a few minutes, you're going to be set apart, Tom, for the gospel of God. Think about that. The weightiness of that. Paul says this gospel of God, God promised beforehand through His prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son who was descended from David according to the flesh. And listen carefully to this. Romans Chapter 1, verse 4, And He, Jesus, was declared to be the Son of God in power to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, in the prophecies, He was declared to be God's Son. At His baptism, He was declared to be God's Son. He declared throughout His ministry He was God's Son. Yet Paul says at His resurrection, Jesus was declared to be God's Son. What does he mean by that? He means what he meant when he preached in Acts chapter 13, verses 26 to 41, where he said the resurrection, the literal, historical, bodily resurrection of Jesus from the grave was the Father's ultimate declaration of Jesus' sonship. It was the overturning of all of the false charges brought against Jesus by those who falsely charged him, falsely accused him. His resurrection was the declaration of his sonship. His vindication of all the charges brought against Him. And understand this, the gospel that we need to be, be hearing, the gospel you need to preach to bind up our wounds is this, that when we are in union with the crucified Christ, listen carefully, when we are in union with the crucified Christ, there can no more be a charge brought against us than there can be brought against Christ. There can be no wonder that Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, who is to bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised is even now at the right hand of God interceding for us. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sheep get wounded from the world of flesh and the devil. Sheep get wounded from other sheep. You said it yourself a little bit ago, right? The sheep can bite, right? They, they have teeth. You understand this, right? We, we are sheep in God's flock and sheep have teeth and they can bite and they can bite at one another. You're going to have to heal and bind up their wounds. They'll, they'll bite at you, Tom. The sheep can bite at you. 
David Martin Lloyd-Jones, that great Welsh preacher, once said that a pastor has to have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. Tom is a pastor, right? Pastor David, would you say that that's true? You have to have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. You know, I don't know that I had the mind of a scholar. I'm, I'm not as dumb as I look, but I don't know that I had the mind of a scholar. I think my heart is somewhat childlike, but, but I know and you know I don't have the hide of a rhinoceros. And sometimes when the wounds come and the sheep bite, it hurts. But you're going to have to be a wounded healer. One who binds up the wounds of the sheep even while your own wounds are evident. Isn't that the way our Lord Jesus is? He binds up your wounds now, Tom, even as His wounds are evident in glory for all to see. An eternal testimony that He is here to bind our wounds. The shepherd seeks the lost. He brings back the scattered. He heals the wounded. He strengthens the sickly. Ezekiel 34, 16, I, I will strengthen the weak. I will strengthen the sickly. What makes us sick? We're Sin sick, some of us this morning were heart sick. Maybe you're here and your eyes are holding back a damn burst of tears and you don't even know why, you just know that you're, you're heart sick. Tom, by God's grace, you need to be like Jesus in the story in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 34, right? He is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. There is a crowd following. It's going to be an impressive sight to watch this man from Galilee heal this young girl. And on the fringes of the crowd, there is this woman. She is dirty. She is unclean. She has a flow of blood. She spent her last penny on doctors and there is no healing. Obviously, she's a sinner or this wouldn't be happening to her. Keep her on the fringes. Keep her away from the rest of us lest she taint us and make us unclean. Yet she presses through the crowd. This is a woman who is ostracized. She knows better than to go among those who are clean and worthy. Yet she presses through the crowd, reaches out just to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. The text tells us Jesus felt power go out from him. He says, who is it that touched me? And the woman comes to him. The text says, in fear and trembling, and explains her situation. I'm so broken. I'm so sick. No one can help me. I know I'm dirty. I know I'm unclean. I know I'm a sinner. And you would think at that moment that Jesus looked at her and say, how dare you press in among this crowd and possibly taint the rest of us? How dare you touch me and make me unclean? No. What was Jesus' word to that woman? Daughter. Daughter, what was it about Jesus that caused this woman who knew better than to press in among the clouds? She knew her place. She knew she was unclean. What was it about Jesus that caused her to say, I've got to press through and get to Him and just touch Him. Tom, by God's grace, be the kind of shepherd, the kind of pastor that the unclean and the sinful know. If I can just get to Tom, if I can just press through and get to Tom, or the other elders and the other shepherds in this place, they're going to take me by the hand and together we're going to go touch the hem of Jesus' garment and hear Him say, daughter, son, you're going to strengthen the sickly. You seek the lost, you bring back the scattered, you bind up the wounded, you strengthen the sickly. And finally, Beutzer says in that little book my kids just gave you, you protect the healthy and you put them out to pasture. Healthy sheep out in the pasture feeding and, and being who God has made them to be in their families and their vocations and their work and their places in life. Knowing that their shepherds here at Potomac Hills are, are watching over them and, and caring for them. You said it yourself 14 years ago, Tom. 
I prophesied over you. You look like the kind of guy it'd be good to drink beer and watch Monday Night Football with. And we put that theory to the test. And, uh, and we came through victorious, I think. In just a few minutes, though, Tom, I'm going to have the privilege of standing with other men with our hands on you. And understand this, the weight of a bunch of grown men's hands laying on you while, while you're down on your knees, after about 30 seconds, it starts to feel really heavy. It really does. And especially if the prayer goes on, the weight of that many grown men's hands just resting on you is a weighty thing as well it should be, Tom. Because what you're being called to is a weighty thing. And I'm going to have the privilege, 14 years later, not simply of saying, you look like the kind of guy that you can watch Monday night football and drink beer with and eat pizza. I'm going, to, I'm going to have the privilege of saying with these men, by God's grace, you look like the kind of man that we can link arms and shepherd the flock with. You see, David, it's a daunting task. I don't have what it takes. All right? Any of you who know Tom, you know right now he's thinking, I don't have what it takes. Oh, Tom. You're exactly right. You don't have what it takes. You have whom it takes. You have the Lord Jesus who has you. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus says at times when you're going to feel like you're losing your grip. Pastor, have you ever felt like in ministry you're losing your grip on the Father? Right? Losing your grip on the Father. Jesus says you're held in His hand. Years ago, there was a couple visiting our church. They wanted to find out more about our church. They said, David, I want you to come over and bring your family over. We'll cook out. We have a swimming pool. Bring your bathing suit. The miracle is they saw me in a bathing suit and they still joined my church. We were, we were out there. Luke was a little bitty and he had just had swimming lessons. He was down in the, deep, the, the shallow end of the pool. I said, baby, come down to the, the deep end with me. He said, daddy, I don't want to go to the deep end of the pool. So son, come on down. Show him what you can do. Come on down. I grabbed him under his arms and started walking backwards down toward the deep end of the pool. He was holding on. Daddy, I don't want to go to the deep end of the pool. I said, son, you'll be fine. Come on to the deep end. Daddy, I don't want to go to the deep end of the pool. I said, son, why don't you want to go to the deep end of the pool? Daddy, I don't have a good grip on you. I said, son, that's okay. I got a good grip on you. Your father's calling you to the deep end. Your grip is going to feel loose at times. But rest assured, Tom, he'll never lose his grip on you. Jesus says you're held in the Father's hand. You're held in my hand. The hands of Jesus still holding you. Still pierced hands holding you. Like Peter said, a witness to the sufferings. Sufferings for you. Sufferings for all of us in this room. The still pierced hands holding you, Tom. Five bleeding wounds he bears. Received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead from me. Forgive him, oh, forgive they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive they cry. Nor let ransom sinners like Tom and all of the folks at Potomac Hills ever die. It's a daunting task. You have whom it takes. The Lord Jesus. You say, David, I'm just an ordinary man. That's true. But your Savior is no ordinary man. And in Colossians 1.29, Paul says, everything I do, I do with His energy, His dunamis, His power working mightily through me, and all of us here, Tom, are going to be grateful witnesses of the energy of Jesus Christ working through you as you ordain and called to be a shepherd among this flock. Amen.